dear people who would take time out of their busy schedules and their busy lives to be in church on Sunday night. I pray you help them, Father, to be able to learn something from your word. Speak through me, Lord. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon me at this time and that I could be used as a vessel. Father, we love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, we're there in Joshua chapter number 21. Now Joshua 21, again, is one of these interesting chapters where most of it you're going through and it's just, you know, real repetitive uh, dividing of the land. And although we're not going to go through and cover all those different things, I do think it's important that you read through that. And I would challenge you, when you're reading your Bible, make sure you read, take the time to read through those passages. The Bible says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's all profitable for us, right? So make sure you don't skip through that. But I want to just focus in on... Uh, and we're kind of going to start in Joshua. We're going to jump out of Joshua for the majority of the sermon. And we'll come back to Joshua at the end. I just want to focus on the last few verses of, of this chapter. If you look at verse number 43, the Bible says, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which He sware to give unto their fathers. And I want you to notice there, God swore, or God made a covenant, God promised that He was going to give them a certain amount of land and a certain amount of section. And the Bible says there, verse 43 again, read it with me, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which He sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. Do you see that? Now, I want you to notice here, this chapter kind of highlights for us the fact that God keeps His promises. Look at verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that He sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them, and the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord has spoken unto the house of Israel. Do you see that? Everything that God said is going to happen. Look at the last part of verse 44. All came to pass. And what we, need, what we can gather from this chapter is this, and tonight I want to highlight for you the fact that when God makes a promise, when God says something, it will come to pass. When God makes a promise, He doesn't break His promises, God doesn't lie, God is not a man that He should lie. And tonight I just want to kind of use this as a springboard, and I want to give you seven... Uh, thoughts or seven promises that the Bible has given to you and I as New Testament believers. Now let me give this disclaimer. I could not preach in one sermon all the promises found in the Bible that God gives to you and I, okay? So there, there's, there's going to be a lot more promises that I'm not going to cover tonight. But tonight I just want to give you seven promises, seven things I thought about when I sat down and thought about the promises that God has given you and I. Seven things that God has promised us and that we can know that they will come to pass. Uh, keep your finger there in Joshua. Put your bulletin there. We'll come back to it towards the end of the sermon. You'll know we're done with the preaching when we get back to Joshua tonight. But go with me just real quickly to the book of Galatians. In the New Testament, Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter number 3. You've got First and Second Corinthians and then you've got the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 3 tonight. And I'd ask for you to look at verse number 14. I want to show you seven promises that God has given to you and I. And you can hang your hat on these promises. You can, you, you can be assured that God will come through with these promises. Number one, I'd like you to see the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Are you there in Galatians, Galatians chapter number 3? Look at verse number uh, 14. The Bible says that the blessing of Abraham... Now if you remember, God made a promise to Abraham. Did He keep that promise? Yes, He did. 
And the Bible says there that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So the same blessing that Abraham had can come to you and I through Jesus Christ that we might receive, look what it says, the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Bible says that you and I can receive the promise of the Spirit, and we get that promise. How do we get it? Through Jesus Christ. And and how else do we get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, the promise of the Spirit. What's so special about that? Well, uh, go go to the book of Ephesians. You're there in Galatians. The very next book is the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter number 1. Look at verse number 13, and I'm going to be treading a little bit of of ground that we've tread before, but that's okay. It's good for you to hear it again. And some of you may have never heard it, so it's good for you to grasp this now. Ephesians chapter number 1, look at verse number 13. Ephesians chapter number 1, verse 13, the Bible says, In whom ye also trusted... Alright? That's that's referring to the faith that has been placed. Look what he says. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And by the way, in order for you to hear the gospel, you have to hear the word of truth. You have to hear the word preached. And it says, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed. So you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel of your salvation, and then you believe that salvation. Salvation is believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Look what it says. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of, what's that next word? Promise. So you were sealed with the Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the Purchase possession unto the praise of His glory. Now let me just give you a few things to think about from this verse. Number one, there are those today, and today the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement teaches that when you get saved, you do not get the Holy Spirit immediately. They teach that you get saved... And then they they teach that salvation is a steps process. And first you believe, and then you repent, and then you get baptized, and then you do this. And part of that process is receiving the Holy Spirit. But according to the Bible, when do you get the Holy Spirit? Let's read it again. Look at verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed. What happens after that ye believed? Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when were you sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? Was it after you spoke in tongues? Is that what it says? Was it after you got baptized? Is that what it says? Was it after you repented of your sins? Is that what it says? It says that you got sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise when? After you believed. So according to the Bible, when you believe is when you get saved. And when you believe, you get sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, you're sealed with with the Spirit. And what God is doing is He's promising by sealing you with the Spirit that you belong to Him. Look at verse 14. Every time I read these verses, I always like to point this out. It says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. I like that word earnest there. It's not a word that's used often. Uh, I know that, I don't know, if I, I, I think I've asked uh, Brother Sergio and Ms. Blanca this before, and I don't remember what you guys told me. But do they still use that terminology in real estate, earnest? Do they still use that terminology? The word earnest there, and I like to explain it by using a real real estate type terminology. When my wife and I were purchasing our house, we had to, you know, we went around and we we were looking at houses and we were looking at this house and we were looking at that house. And then when we found the house we wanted, we said, we want this one. And the real estate agent said, I need $1,000. And I said, what is that? 
That's not a down payment, you know, for a house. And they said, well, this is going to just, this is what, what this is. And what that was, was it's earnest money. And what that means is we gave, a, we gave the real estate agent $1,000. And that $1,000 was proving that we were very interested in purchasing this house. We weren't just saying we wanted to purchase it. We weren't just saying we wanted to get it. We were interested and we were committing to getting that house. And by putting that earnest money, that $1,000, you know, uh, it was showing that we were interested. Now, here's the... Here's the, the thing though. You have to be committed to purchasing the house. You know why? Because if my wife and I gave over that check for $1,000, and then two or three days later we said, ah, forget it, I don't want that house. You know what happened to $1,000? We'd lose it. Because when you put earnest money down, you're saying, I am interested in purchasing, I am committed in getting that, and, what, and if you back out of the deal, then you lose that money. And the Bible says, look at verse 14, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. The spirit of promise, verse 13, which is the earnest of our inheritance. See, when you, when you believe, the Bible says you got sealed with the Spirit. And when you got sealed with the Spirit, God literally put the Spirit down as the earnest of our redemption. When He said, you, you know, we look at a house and we say, I want to purchase this house. And I'm going to put a thousand dollars down to show you that I am committed to purchasing this house. But when God looked at you and I, and He said, I want to purchase and I want to redeem these people. He put His Holy Spirit down as the earnest to show, this is how serious I am about purchasing them. And if God was to renege on His promise, if God was to say, ah, forget it, I'm not going to redeem those people, I'm going to let them go to hell, I don't want them to be saved, I'm going to go ahead and take it, then that would mean that God would have to lose His Holy Spirit in the same way that I'd lose a thousand dollars. Are you following what I'm saying? Now let me ask you something. Do you think God is willing to lose the Holy Spirit? Let me keep you on something. The Holy Spirit is God. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And God literally put Himself down. And He said, I'm sealing you with the Spirit. I'm giving you the Spirit of promise. And this is how serious I am. If I back off from my deal of redeeming and purchasing you, He said, I'll lose my own Spirit. You think He would do that? Of course He wouldn't. The promise that God has given to you and I of the Holy Spirit is a very unique promise. Look at verse 14 again. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until... So it's the earnest until what? The redemption. Do you see the terminology there being used as a financial transaction? Until the redemption. You go to a store and you redeem something. You purchase it. Until the redemption of the purchase possession. Do you see the word purchase there? He says, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Here's what God is saying. When you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were sealed with the Spirit of promise. And He said, I'm going to give you the earnest of My Spirit until I redeem you, until I purchase you, until I, I, I take you from this earth and bring you up to heaven with Me and give you a glorified body. I am giving you My Holy Spirit to show you how serious I am about this promise. That's a wonderful gift. And by the way, the Pentecostal movement is wrong when they say, well, uh, you don't get the, the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Yes, you do. Now, He might not have gotten all of you, but you got all of Him. Because you were sealed with the Spirit of God. So He said, number one, the promise of the Holy Spirit was that you were sealed with the Spirit of God. You're there in Ephesians, go to Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews, towards the end there, if your New Testament there, Hebrews chapter number 13, and the book of Hebrews is right uh, after the book of Philemon, and right before the book of James, Hebrews chapter number 13, look at verse number 5, Hebrews chapter number 13, and verse number 5, 
Hebrews 13.5, I want you to know that when you get saved, you got promised the Holy Spirit. And not only is the Holy Spirit's promise the earnest of your salvation, not only is it the sealing of your salvation, but according to Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says there, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He hath said, notice His promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So how, how does God guarantee the fact that He'll never leave me nor forsake me? Here's how He guarantees it. He sealed me with the Holy Spirit of promise. He put His Holy Spirit inside of me. And everywhere I go, I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me. That ought to be a very sobering thought when you consider, and I, we won't go to the passages, but in 1 Corinthians it talks about how we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we were purchased, and we were redeemed, and, and, and I would submit to you that you must understand, everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit goes with you. That's why the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, and quenching the Holy Spirit. Because when you sit down and watch TV, and you watch filth on TV, or you watch filth in a, in a movie theater, or you watch filth on your computer, or you listen to things that you should not be listening to, or you do things, hey, the Holy Spirit's right there with you the whole time. And you're grieving Him, and you're quenching Him. He said, number one, you've got the promise of the Holy Spirit. Number two, I'd like you to see, go to 1 John. 1 John, chapter number two. 1 John is towards the end of the New Testament. We're, we're looking at seven promises tonight. Seven promises that God has given you. And the first one we saw there was the promise of the Holy Spirit. When did you get Him? When you believed. How long do you have Him for? Until the transaction is done. Until you are purchased and redeemed. Number two, I'd like you to see the promise of eternal life. Are you there in 1 John chapter number 2? 1 John chapter number 2, towards the end of your New Testament there, you got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, right before the book of Jude and Revelation. 1st John chapter number 2, look at verse number 25. 1st John chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says, And this is the promise that He hath promised us. Alright, so what is the promise that He hath promised us? What He says, even eternal life. Do you see that? Let me tell you something. The Bible teaches this concept of eternal life. The Bible teaches this concept of, of, of when you get saved. Now, keep your finger there in 1 John because we're going to come back towards this area. But go to John real quickly. John chapter number 3. Very well-known passage. John chapter number 3. In your New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you've got the book of John. John chapter number 3 tonight. John chapter number 3, of course you've got the famous John 3.16 verse, but I'd like you to look at John 3.36. John 3.36. In John chapter number 3 and verse 36, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son. Now don't miss that word believeth, alright? You're going to find that word a lot throughout Scripture, because that's what salvation is. He that believeth on the Son, notice what he says, hath everlasting life. Now the word everlasting and the word eternal mean the same thing. They're two different ways of saying the same thing. Everlasting means it will last forever. Eternal means it will never end. Just two different ways of saying the same thing. Look what he said. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We actually saw this verse last Sunday night when we were talking about the cities of refuge. Remember the cities of refuge? But I want you to notice this. Because sometimes people say, you know, the Bible says that we get eternal life, that we get everlasting life when you get saved. But sometimes people say, well, you got to live a good life, and then if you live a good life, once you die, then God gives you eternal life. Alright? But here's what you got to understand. The Bible must be our authority in all matters of faith and practice. The Bible must be the one that teaches us when we get, what we get, and how we get it. And in verse 36, the Lord says, He that believeth on the Son will 
everlasting life. Is that what it says? He that believeth on the Son, if he lives a good life, will get everlasting life at, the, at their death. Is that what it says? It says, He that believeth on the Son, what's that next word? What's it say? Hath everlasting life. You know what the word hath means? It means you possess it. You know what the word hath means? It means you have it. It says, He that believeth on the Son, hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And here's what you got to say. When do I get everlasting life? When you believe. When do you get the Holy Spirit? When you believe. You see how those words are connected? Go back to 1 John. Or, I'm sorry, 2 John. No, 1 John. See, what you got to understand is you get everlasting life at the moment that you believe. Let's read that verse again. 1 John 2.25. Look what it says. 1 John 2.25. And this is the promise that He hath promised us. Even eternal life. Go to 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5. See, God has promised you eternal life. When I'm out soul winning, those of you that have gone soul winning with me, you've heard, you've heard me say this probably a hundred times. But when I'm out soul winning and I'm trying to explain the concept of eternal security, eternal life to, to someone at the door, I will usually say to them, hey look, God wants to give you eternal life. God wants to give you everlasting life. Life that will last forever. Life that will never end. And they'll say, yes, I understand. And I'll say, well, let me ask you a question. If God gave you everlasting life starting today, Eternal life starting right now. Life that will last forever. It's never going to end. I'll ask him, when's that life going to end? And of course, usually most people say, well, it'll never end. And I'll say, well, listen, let's just say hypothetically. I don't think you'd ever do this. But let's just say that God gave you everlasting life starting right now. And five years from now, you walk in a bank, you rob the bank, and you kill somebody. You think God would take away your everlasting life? Now, most people, just without even thinking about it, just say, well, yeah, of course you take it away. I mean, if I kill somebody and rob the bank. But then I ask them this question. If five years from now, God took away your everlasting life, did it last forever? And usually you can see the, the wheels start turning, you know what I mean? And they're like, well, I guess if He takes it away five years from now, then it didn't last forever. And I say, well, if it didn't last forever, then did God lie? And usually I'll take him to verses like these. Are you there in 1 John chapter number 5? Look at verse number 10. He that... What's that next word? Believeth. Notice that word keeps coming up. He that believeth on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, look what it says, hath the witness in himself. And he that believeth not God hath made him a what? Liar. So if you don't believe God, you've made him a liar. Why did you make him a liar? Look what he says. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. So he says, and here's what you gotta understand. When it comes to this concept of eternal life and the promise of eternal life, God takes it very personal. Because he says, I gave you the record. He said, I gave you the record of my son, and he that believeth not the record uh, that God gave of his son, he said, you're making me a liar, and then you got to ask the question, well, what's the record? Let's read, read verse 10 again. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he hath not believed the record that God gave of his son. You said, well, what's the record that God gave of his son? Look at verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So see, he says, if you don't believe the record that I gave of my son, then you're making me a liar because I promised you something. And you say, well, what's the record? Here's the record. The, uh, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So see, God promises you eternal life. God promises you the Holy Spirit. And for you to deny that and say, no, 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 you, I, it's not eternal life. You know, those who mock us, 
will say, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people and they say, are you one of those once saved, always saved? You think that once you get saved, you could never lose it? I always tell people, guilty as charged. That's exactly what I believe. Yes, once saved, always saved. Because God gave us a record. It's eternal life. Now, sometimes people don't understand this because they say, well, well, I don't understand. What if I believe on Jesus Christ? He gives me salvation. He gives me the Holy Spirit. He gives me eternal life. And what if I do something really bad in the future? What if I do rob a bank? What if I kill somebody? What if I commit adultery? What, what if I do this and that? And here's what I always explain to people. Here's what you can understand. If you would grasp this concept, it, it, would, it would make sense to you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, He died for all of your sins. Your past sins, your present sins, and all the sins that you have in the future. Because see, when Jesus died on the cross, He died over 2,000 years ago. I don't think there's... Is there anybody here that's 2,000 years old? (laughs) Guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, all your sins were in the future. And even more than that, the Bible tells us that He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before God ever even created, before God ever even laid the foundation for planet Earth, God already had it planned that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins. And when you believe, He forgives you of all your sins. So guess what? In five years from now, when you're robbing the bank, hopefully that doesn't happen. (laughs) Five years from now, when you're committing sin, five years from now, when you're messing up, five years from now, when you're getting backslidden, guess what? Those sins are under the blood. And that's how God can promise you eternal life. Go to Titus real quickly. Titus, if you can find those T-books. You got 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. Go to Titus chapter number 1 and look at verse number 2. I just want you to see, God takes this thing of of the promise of eternal life very uh, uh, personally. Notice what He says here in Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 2. Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 2. The Bible says, in hope of eternal life. That's what we're talking about, right? Eternal life. He says, here's your hope for eternal life. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot what? You see how God takes this very personal? He said, when you don't believe in eternal security, God says, you're calling me a liar. In the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, Louis says, promised before the world began. See, God has given us promises. We said, number one, God gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful promise. He's put, He sealed me with the Spirit and He gave me the earnest of the Spirit. And I know He's going to redeem me because I've got the Spirit. And even better than that, He will never leave me nor forsake me. Because I got the Holy Spirit. Number two, we said, He gave us the promise of eternal life. Number three, I'd like you to see, He gave us the promise of a resurrected body. Go to Acts chapter number 26. We're, getting, we're, we're looking at a lot of passages tonight, alright? You've got to move quickly, okay? I didn't say I was going to preach for 30 minutes, alright? You've got to move quickly or else... Were you impressed with me this morning? I was impressed. I, I said I was going to preach for 30 minutes, and I preached for 37 minutes, and that was pretty good. That was still 20 minutes early for you, alright? Acts chapter number 26, look at verse number 6. Acts chapter number 26, look at verse 6. It's all good and great that God promised us the Holy Spirit. It's all good and great that God promised us eternal life in the afterlife. But you know... Many of us struggle with our bodies. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's a sin issue. Your sin is in your flesh. God not only promised that He would redeem our spirit, God not only promised that He'd give us eternal life in, in, an, you know, in a spiritual way, the Bible says that He promised us a resurrected body. Are you there in Acts chapter 26? Look at verse number 6. And now I stand... And am judged. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. And he's speaking about why he's been arrested. 
Because remember, the Apostle Paul was arrested for the message that he preached. What was that message? Look what he says. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. He said, look, I am being judged and I am being arrested because I was preaching about the hope and the promise that God made unto our fathers. You say, what's that promise? Look at verse 7. Unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. He says, I am accused because of the hope that I'm preaching the promise made of God unto our fathers. You say, what is that promise? Look at verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Do you see that? See, the problem with the Apostle Paul is that he was preaching the resurrection of the dead. He was preaching that God would one day resurrect the bodies of all believers. And they said, we can't have you preaching that. We don't like that. And that day they said, well, nobody can do that. There's no such thing as the resurrection. And there was those who did not believe in the resurrection. But let me tell you something. God has promised a resurrection from the dead. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Tonight's more of a Bible study, I guess. Although, I don't know. Those lines kind of get faded a lot. Bible study, preaching, whatever. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Look at verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Look what the Bible says. 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse 4. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number 3, and verse 4. And the Bible says, And saying, Where is the promise of His coming? People say that today. For since the fathers fell asleep, talking about the fact that they died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. He said, Well, where, where is this Jesus? Wasn't He supposed to come back? Since the fathers fell asleep, they say everything continues the same. Go to 1 Corinthians real quickly. 1 Corinthians. Uh, let's see if I can find this real quickly. This isn't in my notes, but I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that's number one. Number two, verse four, and that He was buried, and that, number three, He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, why is that important? Look at down to verse number 12. Look what He says. Now, if Christ be preached, that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He says, look, if Jesus rose from the grave, then he can resurrect me from the grave. Look at verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God, that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be, that he, the dead rise not. Skip down to verse number, uh, let's see, what do I want you to do? Skip down to verse number uh, 52. Same chapter, 52. Actually, look at verse 51. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's a reference to the fact that that your body, it's funny to me. You know, let me, it's Sunday night, right? Can we go on a little, t- little bit of a, a rabbit trail here? It's funny to me because the Jehovah's Witnesses today, they say, you know, they, they deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? 
Jehovah's Witnesses say Jesus Christ did not raise from the grave. He did not bodily resurrect from the grave. Well, look at verse 14 again. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also in vain. He says, look, if Christ didn't rise from the grave, then what are we doing here? People die every day. People get buried every day. The difference with Jesus Christ is that He rose from the grave. Of His own accord. Look at verse 14. Here's what I think is funny. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, you know, Jesus did not rise from the grave. There was no bodily resurrection. It was a spiritual resurrection. This and that. And they call themselves the Jehovah's Witnesses. But look what the Bible says. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also vain. Look at verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses. Here's what he's saying. If we're preaching that Jesus resurrected when He did, He says we are false witnesses. Now we know that Jesus did resurrect. Are you following what I'm saying? If we preach that He resurrected when He did it, then we are false witnesses. But we know that He did resurrect, therefore we're not false witnesses. So those who teach that He didn't resurrect, guess what they are? False witnesses? Well, no, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. No, they're Jehovah's false witnesses. Because the Bible says, If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is in vain. Of course He resurrected from the grave, otherwise there would be no point of believing in Jesus Christ. Go, go, to, go, go back to the verse we're looking at, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Here's the other thing that I think is funny, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They teach this concept called soul sleep. They say when you die, your soul goes to sleep. When the Bible says that your body goes to sleep, your soul goes to heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the Bible says your body's asleep, but they say, no, 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 your soul's asleep. And I'm thinking to myself, are you guys reading the same Bible we're reading? Maybe you just don't have the right spirit. Now, you're against Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not against individuals. But we are against false doctrine. Because if Christ be not risen from the grave, then our, then our faith is in vain. And to go around teaching people that Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, hey, those people are going to die and go to hell. Because the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, then shall we be saved. And I'm not quoting. If, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts. We must believe the resurrection. Otherwise, we're not saved. But anyway, that's not what I want to show you. Look at verse 52. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you'll believe in the resurrection of your body. Look at verse 52. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, this is talking about the rapture, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, to reference to your body, See, your body is decaying. Your body is corrupting. You ever have a pain or an ache? People live in pain every day of their lives. And the Bible says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? See, the promise of God is this, you got the Holy Spirit, amen. The promise of God is this, you got eternal life, amen. But the promise of God is this also, that one day your body will be resurrected. You know what the beautiful thing about that is? When you're in pain, when you're hurting, when you say, my back hurts, my joints hurt, my this hurt. When our bodies are riddled with, with diseases and cancers, our bodies are riddled with, with sin and the flesh. Let me tell you something. You, you've got to promise one day that one day you'll have a body that never hurts. You have a body that never aches. You have a body where well, I'm not going to have to fight my flesh. And I'm not going to have to fight you know, the lust of the flesh. I'm not going to have to fight that when this corruptible puts on incorruption. And this mortal puts on immortality. That's a promise of God. And that's a promise that unbelievers do not have. 
If we said number one, you got the promise of the Holy Spirit. If we said number two, you got the promise of eternal life. If we said number three, you get the promise of a resurrected body. Number four, I'd like you to see. Go to Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter, we got to move quickly. Second Peter chapter number three. Say, Pastor, are you going to preach long tonight? Well, it was the last Sunday night in this building? So I'm just trying to savor it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter chapter number three. Look at verse number thirteen. Second Peter chapter number three, verse thirteen. Second Peter three thirteen, look at the Bible says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Not only did God promise you the Holy Spirit. Not only did God promise you eternal life, not only did God promise you a resurrected body, but God also promised you a home in heaven. Go to John. We were just there. John 14. should be fairly easy to find. John 14. I'm showing you some well-known passages tonight, but I want you to see these. God has promised you a home in heaven. John 14. John 14. Look at verse 1. I like the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see His compassion as He teaches us. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. Have you ever had your heart troubled? You know, this world will cause us to have trouble over finances, over our families, over sickness, over health, over the, the economy, the political things that are going on. And you know, it's easy in this world to be in trouble. But Jesus Christ said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He says, Why shouldn't you be troubled? Look at verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, God promised you a home in heaven. He said, I go to prepare a place. He said, I'm going to come back for you, and you're going to be with me in heaven. He said, and here's, here's what he's trying to say. He said, hey, don't let this world trouble you. Don't get so caught up in the things of the world. He said, let not your heart be troubled. I understand that the economy is bad, and the job market is bad, and the finances are bad, and this is bad, and our health is bad, and this world is bad. We get that, but listen, you've got a promise, and I've got a promise, that we should not be troubled. Why? Because we've got a home in heaven. Because guy, you you say the real estate market is bad. It's not. It's good in heaven. The value of my house is bad. The mansion I got in heaven hasn't lost any value. Hey, we're fine. You got a promise from God that you'll get to go to heaven one day. And you know what? The worst day of a Christian on earth is still better than the best day of an unbeliever. Because when it's all said and done, I go to prepare a place. But the unbeliever, hey, they could have had the best life in this world. But they'll spend eternity in hell. God has promised you, not only the Holy Spirit, not only eternal life, not only a resurrected body, not only heaven. God has also promised you a reward. Go to Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. We'll move through these quickly. Romans chapter number 4. Look at verse 13. Romans chapter number 4, verse 13. This ought to be encouraging. Some of you like to complain. Pastor Jimenez never preaches an encouraging sermon. Here it is, right? Mark it down. You get one, you get one a month. Romans chapter number four. Because next week it's bad to, it's bad to uh, same old... No, I'm just kidding. Romans chapter four, look at verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham, 
or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You know that God has promised to you and I that we could be heirs of the world? See, God not only saves you. Remember we were talking about this morning? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But God doesn't just say, hey, I need you to work for me. God says, I need you to work for me and I'm going to pay you well. He said, I'm going to make sure you get rewarded. He said, you're going to be an heir uh, uh, of, of the world to come. Go to Romans chapter number 8, look at verse 15. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 15. We've got to move quickly, I'm running out of time. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 15. Look what the Bible says. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Remember, you're just talking about the spirit? But ye have received the spirit of, the, of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children joint Heirs with, uh, uh, then, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Bible says when you believe, Bible says when you got the Spirit, Bible says when you got sealed, Bible says when you got eternal life, you also got a position of being a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You say, I don't got, I don't got, you know, I'm not going to get an inheritance, I'm never going to get any money, no one, I'm never going to have a rich uncle that dies and leaves me any money, but let me tell you something, when this world is done, I'm a joint heir with Christ, that's the promise of God. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him. Now, now follow this. If so be that we suffer with Him, suffer with Christ, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You say, I'm suffering for Jesus, Pastor. You don't understand. I have to go to church and there's no carpet. <laughs> it's okay. It's over there. <laughs> we'll be there next week. I have to go to church and the trimming was missing. Only part of it. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes we suffer for Christ. And we do. But the Bible says, I reckon that the suffering of this present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. No matter what you go through in this life, no matter what struggles you go through, no matter how much you suffer, you say, I'm suffering, I'm doing this. Let me tell you something, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You won't even remember the sufferings of this world. Because it's not able to even be compared. God has promised you a home in heaven. God has promised you a reward. God has promised you a resurrected body. God has promised you eternal life. God has promised you the Holy Spirit. Let me show you some interesting things. Those, those all have to do with heaven. Let me change gears a little bit, but let me show you something interesting. Go to Ephesians chapter number 6. You say, God promised me things that are going to come in the future. Amen, alright. But you know what? That God has also promised you a long life. You know that you can have a long life according to the Bible and God promises that? You can stop purchasing all your wrinkle, cream this and that. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to do that so I can live a long life and I can look young. Look, the Bible already promised that you can have a long life. Want me to show it to you? 50 bucks. No, I'm just kidding. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Look what it says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. Now note what it says. Which is the first commandment with promise. Do you see that? Bible says, now here's what you understand. Honor thy father and mother is the fifth commandment in the ten commandments. But it's the first commandment with a promise. You say, what is that promise? Look at verse 3. If you honor thy father and thy mother, look at verse 3, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Don't miss that. Look what it says. That it may be well with thee. Would you like that to be said of your life? 
Man, it went well. How do your life go? Well, <laughs> that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. The Bible says if you honor your father, and if you honor your mother, God promises that it will be well with thee, and you'll live long on earth. Let me show it to you in the actual Ten Commandments. Go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter number 20. God promised if you honor your father and you honor your mother, He promises that He will bless you, it will go well with you, and you'll live a long life. Isn't that interesting? Some of you are worried. You know, you know how you were when you were a teenager. You're surprised you made it this far, the way you acted with your friends, you know what I mean? Hey, but you can make up for it now. Are you there in Exodus chapter 20? Look at verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother. Look what it says. That thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's a promise. If you honor your father, hey, hey kids, listen up. Honor your father. Honor your mother. God promises he'll give you a long life. God promises it'll go well with you. You say, my, you don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. They don't, they don't deserve my honor. Look, God, God didn't say honor if they deserve it. God just said honor. God didn't say honor if, if, they've, if they've earned that respect. He just said, you honor them. And it's interesting to me. He doesn't say love them. He just says honor them. Honor your father. Honor your mother. Give them the honor that is due to them because of their position. And you say, well, they're going to take advantage of me. They don't deserve it. You don't know what they've done. Let me tell you something. You just honor them and God says it'll be well with thee. You say, well, the way I was raised, they really messed me up. Hey, God says he'll bless your life if you just do what he says. Honor your father and your mother. That's a promise. It's a promise that I think is worth taking. You say, I already messed up. You should have seen me as a kid. Well, start honoring them now. And you young kids, you young teenagers, start honoring your mom and dad right now. That's a promise. Let me show you one more. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Not only did God promise that He give you... And like I said, I can't give you an all-inclusive list of all the promises in the Bible. There's so many promises in Scripture, I can't give you all of them. But just a few ones that jumped out to me. We said number one, God promised the Holy Spirit. We said number two, God promised eternal life. We said number three, God promised the resurrection of the body. We said number four, God promised heaven. We said number five, God promised you a reward. We said number three, uh, number six, good night. God promised you a long life if you honor your father and mother. Number seven, let me show you this one. God promises to take care of you financially. Are you there in Matthew chapter 6? Look at verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? The word raiment there is referring to clothing. He says, why are you worried about the clothes you're going to put on? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They toil not. Neither do they spit. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or wherewithal shall we drink? Or, I'm sorry, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? He said, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. And take comfort in that. Your heavenly Father already knows you have need of these things. He already knows you need clothing. He already knows you need food. Now here's the catch though. Because it's a promise, but like the last promise, you get the long life if you honor your father and mother. And God will take care of you financially if you do, verse 33, look what he says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, 
And all these things shall be added unto thee. What things shall be added unto you? The clothing, the food, the taking care of, the raiment. He said, I'll, I'll take care of that if you seek first the kingdom of God. He said, I'll take care of that if you put me first. See, the problem is you and I, when we get financially strapped, what's the first thing we do? Well, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta go to work. and I, I don't have time for church. I don't have time for Bible. I don't have time for God. And God says, man, if you just put me first, I'd make sure I took care of it. He said, seek, me, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. He said, if you put me first, if you seek me first, go to Psalm 37. I keep your finger there in Matthew, Matthew 6. I want you to see this. Matthew 6, go to Psalm 37. I, I want you to cross-reference this. Psalm 37 is a very famous passage. So if you open up your Bible, just right smack down in the center, you'll more than likely follow in the book of Psalms. Psalm 37, a very famous passage. And a, and, a, and a passage I love, but I think sometimes it's misused. Psalm 37, look at verse 25. Psalm 37 and verse 25. David said, I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor received begging bread. That's a, that's a great promise there. He says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He said, I've never seen his seed begging bread. Now, most people read that verse and they say, well, see, a Christian, someone who's a righteous individual, they'll never beg bread. Not, I would submit to you that I don't think that, what that that's what that verse is talking about. And, and I'm not going to argue with you if you think, no, that's a promise to every believer. But let me show you why I don't think that, okay? Keep your finger there in Psalms, all right? So you got a finger in Matthew, you got a finger in Psalms, all right? Go to Luke 16. Luke 16. I hope you got more than three fingers. Luke 16. Let me just show you this quickly. We're almost done. Luke 16. Look at verse number 19. Look what the Bible says. Luke 16:19. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously. The word sumptuously means very lavish or lavishly. And fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar. Alright, so what is this person? A beggar. Named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died. And now notice, was this beggar saved? Look what it says. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now I'm not preaching on this this morning. We preached on, on soul winning this morning. On following Christ, fishing for men. You say, well why should I follow Christ and fish for men? Look at verse 23. And in hell, the rich man. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. The number one reason you and I ought to go soul winning is to keep people out of hell. You say, well, is it obedience to Christ? Is it because I'm following Jesus? It's all of that, but it's also this. People are dying and going to hell every day. But I want you to notice this beggar, Lazarus. And this is not a, this is not a parable of made-up individuals. When Jesus gave parables, He would not give us names of individuals. So we know this is an actual person. This beggar, Lazarus, was righteous in his soul because he went to heaven. But he was begging. Well, what happened to I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seen begging bread? See, I don't think you can just say, I'm saved, so I'm never going to beg. No, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
See, it's not just that you're saved, it's that you're seeking God. It's not just being righteous in your position as a saved individual, it's about being righteous in your walk. It's about seeking God first. It's about putting Him first. And I would submit to you that there are many people who are saved, they're born again, they got the Holy Spirit, they got eternal life, they got a resurrected body that they're going to get, they got a mansion waiting for them, but they're poor and they're, 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 they're not financially blessed. And here's the number one reason Christians are not blessed financially and it's because we do not seek God first. Amen. You don't put God first. And look, I'm not a I'm not a Pentecostal name it and claim it. I'm not some prosperity gospel preacher. I'm not here to tell you God's going to prosper you and God's going to get make you rich. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this, in Matthew chapter 7, God promised that he would give you clothing and that he would give you food. <laughs> now notice, he didn't necessarily say your PG&E bill would get paid. <laughs> He didn't say you're going to be driving a Cadillac. But he said, I'll make sure that your clothing is taken care of. And I'll make sure that your food is taken care of. If you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Look at verse 34. Take therefore, of Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let me show you one more verse. Malachi chapter number 3. We don't preach on finances that much around here, but it's in the Bible. And I just, I'm giving you promises. I want to show you one in regards to uh, a promise that God gives you in regards to your finances. Malachi chapter number 3. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter number 3, look at verse number 8. Malachi chapter number 3 and verse 8. Look what the Bible says. We're talking about promises. Look what he says. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. When you withhold your tithe and your offering from God, you are robbing God. Look at verse 9. Now, do you understand that verse 9 is in context of verse 8? Verse 9 came after verse 8. Alright? So verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Look at verse 9. Ye are cursed with a curse. Why are you cursed with a curse? For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Look at verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me. I like that. He says, prove me. Now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God says, if you bring your tithe... He says, he says, prove me. He says, look, I promise if you tithe, he said, I'll, I'll make sure that I bless you. I'll open the windows of heaven and make sure that you're blessed. He says, prove me. Here's what he's saying. I dare you. Now listen, if God says, I'm going to dare you, I want to take that dare. If God says, hey, prove me. You know, see if I'll do it. Notice what he says. Look at verse 9. Verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says, look, I promise. Now again, is he saying that you're going to be a millionaire? He's not saying that, but he's saying, I promise you. He said, prove me this day. He said, he said I promise, I dare you to take me up on this. He said, this is a promise. 
And you say, well, well, it's the Pentecostal movement, it's this and that, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not a prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you this, that God promises to bless your finances. Now again, am I saying you're going to be rich? Am I saying you're going to be a millionaire? No, but I'm saying that God will take care of you. It's a promise from God. Go to Joshua 21. Joshua 21. Look at verse number 45. We're done right here. I just wanted to give you seven promises that God gives you. Set number one, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Set number two, the promise of eternal life. We set number three, the promise of a resurrection for your body. We set number four, the promise of heaven. We set number five, the promise of reward. We set number six, the promise of long life. We set number seven, the promise of blessed finances. Now again, I want to stress the fact that God's not promising you're going to be a millionaire. But He promises He'll take care of you. We didn't turn there, but in Philippians He says that, you know, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. Are you there in Joshua 21? Look at verse 43 again. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which He sware to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that He sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. And I just want you to make note of this last phrase. All came to pass. You know that every promise that God has ever given has come to pass? I didn't show you... But we, looked at, we could have looked at all the promises that God gave Abraham, and they all came to pass. We could have looked at all the promises that God gave David, and they all came to pass. We could have looked at all the scriptures where God promised that there would be a Messiah, there would be a Christ, there would be a, a Savior who would come, and they all came to pass. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. When it comes to promises, God has good credit. He hasn't failed yet. And if He promised you eternal life, if He promised you the Holy Spirit, if He promised you a reward, if He promised you a long life, if He promised that He'd take care of you, let me tell you something. God will make good on His promises. All came to pass. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You, Lord, so much. Thank You for our church, Lord. And I know we didn't spend a lot of time in Joshua, but I just wanted to share, Father, the fact that You have promised to us many, many promises. You've promised... To care for us if we put you first. You promised to give us eternal life and the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray you'd help us to just realize when things get tough. Sometimes finances get tough and you've got little kids to raise. And you've got a wife to take care of. You've got things and you just think to yourself, well God said he'd take care of us. And God makes good on his promises. Lord, I pray you'd help us to rest on those promises. Father, we love you in your precious name I pray. Amen.